Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo, and today I'm joined by very special guest, Hugh Malazzi, who's the CEO and founder of Ujama and also the author of an upcoming book, The Entrepreneur's Journey. Hi, Hugh. Hi, Keith. Thanks for having me. So in this week's tech news, how many of you are Tesla owners? A group of researchers from KU Leuven University in Belgium demonstrated how hackers can clone a key fob of a Tesla Model S and it can steal a car within seconds. And it only takes $600 worth of IT computing or radio equipment. Wired reported that when Tesla was presented with this information, they introduced two-factor authentication and a security patch. The only problem is to make sure you as the owner patch your software. In another Tesla news story, a Tesla Model 3 was stolen from the Mall of America. And the thief only used their smartphone. Now, what the funny thing is, is the guy got caught. But apparently a Tesla is the most easily stolen vehicle in America, but also the most easily recovered because people forget how much tracking software and devices are in the car. One thing about software today versus software 10 or 20 years ago is it's all modular. So there's a, there's a surveillance camera vulnerability that allows hackers to spy and alter recordings. And it's actually the reason why it's so widely available is because the software is used in many, many devices under different brands. So the best thing you can do is make sure that if you're using this type of software and not going to name it specifically for obvious reasons, you as a developer should make sure that you have the right security procedures in that. And lastly, Trend Micro, a very widely used antivirus, apologized that their Mac antivirus was secretly collecting all of your browser histories. And once again, nothing in life is free. So as you're downloading free apps, it's very incumbent on you to know what that software is doing, whether it's your laptop, desktop, or mobile device. And that's the news of the week. So welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, I'm joined by Hugh Malati, founder and CEO of Ujama, and also author of an upcoming book, The Entrepreneur's Journey. But I want to step back and actually explain how I know Hugh. So Hugh is very famous in the Valley for being an innovation leader. Uh, he spent over 22 years at a company I'm very close to, Intuit, where he was involved with many of the leading products. And that's where we're going to get to the entrepreneur's journey, where Hugh, inside a company for 22 years, touched many different innovations that led to greatness over and over again. So during Hugh's tenure at Intuit, he became an Intuit fellow. And just like we had Jerry Cuomo, VP of IBM Blockchain Technologies last week, who's also an IBM fellow, fellows in technology companies are a big deal. 
And Hugh was the actually the first winner of the Founders Award. And actually, Hugh, I was at that ceremony when you got it, which was great at Intuit. So, Hugh, I want to make sure everyone knows you wrote a book called The Intrapreneur's Journey, not Entrepreneur. And there's a reason for that. Why don't we start with where the concept came from? Yeah, well, I spent, uh, as you mentioned, 22 years of my career into it. Um, I didn't know I was going to spend that much time at uh, one company, but I'm very blessed to have that long journey there. But throughout that time, um, I've always felt like uh, I had an entrepreneurial spirit. I was always interested in what new solutions we could come up with to solve uh, problems that customers were having. Uh, and uh, especially in the time I was in, at Intuit, you know, we saw lots of new technologies. You know, I was my first product I worked on was QuickBooks for DOS. I got to work on Windows, on Mac, on uh, in the internet offerings, and eventually mobile offerings as well. And so they are always uh, given a lot of uh, stimulation for new ideas. Um, but we're not entrepreneurs in the classical sense because we're not out there in a garage uh, trying to make an offering happen. We're inside a corporation uh, trying to get support for these new ideas. And while some of the the challenges and some of the skills uh, overlap between a, uh, somebody who's inside a corporation versus somebody who's doing it in a garage, there are some specific differences. And hence the, uh, hence, you know, the word entrepreneur instead of entrepreneur. Yeah, I love it. Uh, the, one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, when I joined into it was the small business mentality, empowering small businesses coming from large corporations. It really was, as you said, and we've done other shows on this with folks like Jed, yeah, it's, it's the, the companies are usually very large and innovation happens very slowly at some point. You have to buy or acquire your innovation. And what I really appreciated about the time at Intuit was that every executive, every director uh, was trained in design thinking. And I know you often train those courses, which was, which was um, fantastic. So this thought about entrepreneur, that there are ideas and untapped talent or the ability to un- tap that talent um, inside the corporation is powerful. Yeah, it is. Um, one of the things we talk about in the book is this notion of hidden assets, that uh, in most companies, the, the biggest underutilized assets are essentially the ideas in the employees' heads. You know, so a lot of people can identify with this story. You know, there's a company and they're struggling uh, to get growth or they're struggling uh, with their revenues or struggling with their customers. And so what do they do? They hire a big consulting firm to come in and give them guidance. Consulting firm comes in and, uh, you know, after a few months uh, and a big uh, consulting bill, they'll come up with a conclusion. Okay, here's what you need to do uh, next. And you'll have half the employees saying, you know, I could have told you that and it wouldn't have cost you, you know, (laughs) seven figures. Um, And that's because, yes, it's true. Uh, in almost all cases, employees have ideas of what the company should be doing. And it's not a surprise. They're intimately involved in the building of the products. They are intimately involved in serving customers. So they're inundated with the insights on how to serve customers better or how to improve the products. The problem is a lot of times uh, nobody's listening to them. A lot of times if you're a frontline employee, you're not empowered to do anything with those insights. Uh, the people who are the uh, senior leaders in the company, how do they spend most of their day? Well, typically in meetings with other senior leaders. So they're actually in, um, far removed from these same insights. And so that's how you find in a large company a situation where 
a lot of the frontline employees can tell you what's going wrong and what needs to happen, and the senior leaders uh, are befuddled. Uh, and uh, we we call these again these hidden assets. And the way to to to, to take advantage of it is to start to emp- empower your employees uh, to work on their own ideas. Well, thank you. And I have one extreme example from my past about what you just said. Uh, during the dot-com era, I was working at a very large company who I talk about a lot, love them, but we were doing M&A left and right. And there was a point where we bought a company for, I think, about $6 billion. And at the close party, which is when you celebrate the acquisition, there was a number of what I would call the entrepreneurs that actually questioned, like, don't we have this product or a similar product already in the works? And uh, making this a shorter story, when there was a multi-billion dollar write-off, half of the write-off, and this is all public knowledge, half of the write-off was for this one company that we had just purchased that we really had an existing portfolio of products for. And that's a that's an extreme example. Yeah. So once again, I'm joined with Hugh Malazzi, who's the CEO of Ujama and the author of an upcoming book called The Intrapreneur's Journey. And we're going to be talking more about the journey of how this book got started. So don't go away. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to the show, Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined by special guest Hugh Malazzi, CEO and founder of Ujama and author of The Entrepreneur's Journey, a book that will soon be released. Thanks again, Hugh. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This week's question is, what is 5G? So I was recently a guest at AT&T's launch of 5G Technologies in San Francisco, and I thought it'd be good to explain what 5G is. In order to do that, you have to understand what the other technologies are. So 1G was analog cellular phones. 2G were technologies such as CDMA, GSM, and TDMA, which were the first generation of digital technologies. 3G or third generation were things like EVDO, HSPA, UMTS, which is where it was really about the speed of the connection from kilobytes to megabytes. And 4G, which is what we're mostly on now, introduced technologies like WiMAX and LTE. Well, the next leap forward is 5G. And 5G brings three new features, which are greater speed to move data, lower latency, which makes it more responsive, and the ability to connect a lot more devices as we think about sensors and Internet of Things or IoT. Um, It's predicted that within five years, there's going to be over 100 billion connected devices in the world. So what does this mean for you, your iPhone, your Android? Um, Let's just make sure none of these technologies are compatible. You will still need to have your existing 4G phone and even the next 5G phone. And the iPhone won't be out, I think, for another two years. That will have to have both a 4G and a 5G technology in it until it can finally be completely 5G. In terms of announcing when the 5G is available in your area in the United States, I'm excited because AT&T announced that Los Angeles, San Jose, San Francisco, and Las Vegas are going to be getting 5G in early 2019. And that's the question of the week. 
So in the first segment, we talked about Hugh's personal journey of being both an entrepreneur and a corporate executive. Uh, Hugh was the VP of innovation at Intuit. He was there for 22 years, which is a long career for somebody in the Silicon Valley. And he touched on many, many of the products that are widely used today. Um, Hugh, what I want to switch to is you're actually writing a book, which is a completely new thing for you. Where does that idea come from? Yeah, you know, so uh, during my time at Intuit, uh, one of the things I got to be involved with is really helping cultivate Intuit's uh, culture of of innovation. Uh, And among those things was uh, we introduced something called uh, unstructured time which uh, empowered employees to work on their, uh, on their own ideas. And I've explained before how this is really important because frontline employees are the ones who are more likely to uh, get exposed to the insights uh, on how to serve customers better or how to improve products. And uh, at Intuit, after we introduced Unstructured Time, we got to see a lot of the benefits of it. We got to see some really amazing products that came out of uh, the fact just that employees were empowered to use their time. And so uh, Jeff Zayas, who is my co-author, you know, we worked together on uh, unstructured time and some other innovation uh, activities at Intuit. Uh, we were often asked to speak about Intuit's uh, culture of innovation, whether we would uh, host guests sometimes at the company or in some cases go and speak at conferences. And so over time we started to say, you know, we really should package this stuff in a book because you know, we, we were very passionate about this ourselves, and we really believe this is the right way for companies to organize themselves, and that uh, you actually give employees an opportunity to do the best work of their lives when you expose them to a culture like this where they are empowered. Uh, so really, that was it. was like we wanted to get the message out. And that's where I really have to thank you, Hugh, personally, because I was the beneficiary of some of those idea jams that you referred to. And actually, the personal coaching from Eric Reese when he used to do that for us as well. Um, Eric Reese is the author of The Lean Startup. And why I bring that up is that you are the first book published in the Lean Startup brand, correct? Yeah, we, we, uh, we're very honored uh, to have this association with the Lean Startup Company. As you mentioned, uh, Eric Reese did quite a bit of coaching at Intuit. Uh, I believe we were one of the first large companies uh, to take the work he had been doing. This was even before his book had been published and start to figure out how to incorporate it into our culture. Uh, and, uh, you know, Eric's, Eric's just a phenomenal guy. He uh, is very ins- ins- inspirational. And I think his story of how uh, to be really lean and efficient uh, and uh, uh, to make sure that uh, you, you, know, you, you do the work before you do the work uh, when you're innovating, uh, was is, has been very very powerful, and so um, w- you know we we incorporated the lean startup methodology in our work as we were teaching teams how to be effective innovators, um, and also post into it and the work that I've been doing, I, I get to sometimes lead workshops at companies teaching them lean startup methodology. So it's something I definitely believe in, and it certainly goes hand in hand with what we talk about empowering employees to innovate. Thank you, and does that tie into then deciding to do a Kickstarter campaign for your book? Actually, it really does. Um, the, the story of the book is really interesting. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I left into it at the end of 2015. Uh, and at the time, as I mentioned, you know, we had this inspiration to do the book. So I had just put together an outline. Uh, and it was complete serendipity. Uh, uh, somebody from a publisher came, reached out to me and said, have you ever thought of writing a book? 
And it's like, well, as a matter of fact. And so that led to uh, a few months later, you know, signing a contract and uh, working with this publisher um, to write this book uh, with Jeff. And uh, we were with the publisher for over a year. Uh, We completed a manuscript. We submitted it. Uh, but then we had some creative differences in terms of where the, the book was going and what needed to change. And uh, we decided to part in a very amicable way. Um, but uh, at that point, we were just trying to decide, okay, what do we need? What, we have a manuscript now. What should we do next? And it was Eric who said, you know, look, um, given the, 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 how things have changed in the market and especially around books, he, he was of the point of view that, uh, you know, Kickstarter is really a great platform for uh, somebody who wants to get a, get a piece of work out. And in fact, he, he likened it to the Lean Startup uh, methodology itself. It's like, here's another way to test, to see, you know, if you do a campaign and nobody's interested, well, <laughs> you get your feedback. Um, and so, uh, so and, and by the way, Eric published his second book, uh, The Leader's Guide, on, exclusively on, on Kickstarter. So he was giving us this advice from a point of view of somebody who had actually done it. And so uh, um, we, we decided, yes, we would go down that path. And uh, we wanted to also brand this with the Lean Startup Company because uh, we felt like this could be a way to get a lot more authors, people and their experiences uh, doing innovation in big companies and small companies, that this could be a new channel for us. And so, uh, so yeah, we're very happy to be the, the first uh the first book uh, to be published uh, under that uh, umbrella. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I think, again, just like Eric Reese had said, it's very powerful that he has this methodology. You've been practic- a practitioner of the methodology and, and teaching workshops, and now you're applying it, which now leads into the availability of the book. That's right. Yes. In fact, the book is uh, still available for, to order on the Kickstarter campaign just for one more day. Uh, and uh, we encourage people to go to Kickstarter and uh, make a pledge. Uh, and we can't wait to get the book into people's hands. I can't wait to read it. So you can find it on kickstarter.com. Search for entrepreneur. That's with an I. So once again, you're listening to Keith Koo of Silicon Valley Insider with my special guest, Hugh Malazzi, CEO of Ujama and author of The Entrepreneur's Journey. Don't go away because when we come back in the next segment, we're going to go through the entrepreneurship empowerment model and talk about some success stories. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. And we'll be right back with you, Malazzi. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Joined today with Hugh Malazzi, CEO of Ujama and author of The Entrepreneur's Journey. That's with an I. Hugh, thanks again for being here today. Thank you for having me. So this week's cyber tip is really a report on the Equifax breach that happened last year. The GAO, or the Government Accountability Office, came up with their findings. And as I speak more and more at conferences and deal with my clients and companies, um, this is very relevant to what you're in for if the government's ever investigating you. So the first problem was ineffective identification, which means that they didn't really know what the underlying software was, the vulnerabilities involved. Uh, For the Apache stretch vulnerability, the patch had been out for over a year before, uh, and Equifax didn't act on it. Poor detection, 
which means that um, they were their vulnerabilities open for months and they didn't catch it. No segmentation, which means that their network was very simple, their computer network, and it didn't wasn't able to handle segmentation between um, sensitive data. Poor data governance, which means that they didn't actually have the right credentials, two-factor authentication, uh, security controls under the access of the system administrator themselves, and no query limits, which means that they let any amount of queries is why you can steal 145 million identities over months and months and months. So the lesson is, if a multi-billion dollar company like Equifax doesn't have the right discipline and controls, then it's possible that you don't either, and that you should look for help. And that's the tip of the week. So in the first segments, we talked about your history with Intuit, being the VP of innovation, all the accomplishments you made at the company, leading to starting Ujamaa, which we'll talk about in a future show, and then also being the co-author of a book, The Entrepreneur's Journey, which is all about untapping the talent within your existing company. So I wanted to move on into explaining the entrepreneurship empowerment model. Where did that come from? Yeah, so, you know, again, the basic premise of the book is to be a truly innovative company, you need to empower your employees to work on their own ideas. Um, now, for some people, that may be a provocative concept, this notion that employees are given time to work on whatever ideas they come up with. But obviously, there are c- several companies that have already gone down this route. In fact, Intuit, with its unstructured time, was not the first company. Uh, a lot of people have heard about Google's 20% time. Uh, Atlassian has a 20% time. Um, there's a, a 3M is credited with uh, being maybe the pioneers of this with a 15% mm-hmm. time. Um, so there, there are a number of companies that have done it, but a lot of companies have struggled, quite frankly, with how to make these programs work well. And uh, what, given what we learned from our own personal experiences uh, and also what we learned from talking to innovation leaders at other companies like LinkedIn and like Google and like Atlassian, we realized there were these several components that you had to consider uh, if you're going to create a program which is effective and sustainable. Um, and so that's how we came up with these six elements so that people can have them in mind as they move forward. With the six elements, it looks like a wheel. Where do people normally start? So the first part is just you know doing what the premise says, which is giving empowering your employees to work on their own ideas. And so we call that time and freedom. You want them to have time away from their daily job because uh, if they are fully uh, focused, uh, or I I should say if they are fully allocated to their assigned tasks and they have a great idea, uh, they may never have time to work on that great idea. And so the time piece is important. But the freedom piece is maybe even more important because a lot of times uh, what may seem like a great idea to a frontline employee their manager may say, oh, that's a horrible idea, don't do that. <laughs> and uh, we have lots of stories of great uh, innovations that companies lost because the managers didn't, didn't support the employees. And so freedom is saying, you know, look, the employee is truly free to work on these ideas no matter how wacky they seem. Uh, and so that's really the starting point. Give your employees time and freedom. That's great. Uh, you know, after I left into it, I went to a large uh, Japanese-owned bank and we were struggling with a concept of going through lots of data. And 
I credit the design thinking of a company like an Intuit and experience there to be able to come up with new methods and models that even the regulators could appreciate in order to ingest large data sets and get the, the right analytics from that. And I think that goes back to empowerment is and freedom are really critical and important and that the employees have to feel that in order to um, feel like they could take calculated risks. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and you have to remember the, the most disruptive ideas, the ideas that change the world, are almost always the worst sounding ideas, right? Um, and the, re- the reason that's the case is if they sounded great, then they probably would have happened already. Um, but, uh, you know, if you go back to when the, uh, the iPhone first came onto the market, a lot of people thought a phone without a keyboard, that's crazy, right? And everybody thought, you know, Steve Jobs, Apple's crazy, that's never going to work. Well, guess what? Uh, it's hard to find a phone with a keyboard these days. Um, so, uh, and, and, you know, the list goes on. When we were into it, uh, there was an engineer called Colin, and he had this idea that uh, small businesses would want to process Bitcoin payments. <laughs> and uh, there were a bunch of people who thought, oh, no, 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 that's a terrible idea. Nobody understands this Bitcoin stuff. It's all speculative. Uh, we don't want Intuit dragged into all of that. Uh, but, you know, because we had unstructured time, he was able to get the protection he needed to actually go and test it. And guess what? It turns out, you know, Bitcoin has lots of enthusiasts, and some of them are small business owners. And they were really psyched to see, wow, Intuit uh, is actually working on a way for me to be able to use this as uh, accept payment in Bitcoin. Um, and so, again, many of these ideas that may sound wacky and crazy and that a manager uh, could kill before it actually sees the light of day Maybe the very thing that a company needs to maintain its growth or go to the next level. I, I'm really glad you brought that particular use case up because on our show, people know we, we cover a lot of blockchain technology stories, not necessarily cryptocurrency. And, and a lot of the work that um, we do in the consulting side is exactly what you're saying. There, there are companies who've already invested hundreds of millions in developing blockchain solutions or integrations. And they're really still thinking about it in terms of the traditional, how do I protect my existing revenue stream? How do I protect my existing model? They're not yet getting that a technology like blockchain or distributed ledger could be extremely disruptive if it disintermediates what you exist for. Think of Airbnb, think of Uber, eBay, even Amazon. And and a lot of those companies are all actually researching blockchain as we speak. So what would be your continuing advice on these corporations? How do they keep themselves as nimble as possible and open to these ideas? Yeah, and it it comes back to just empower your employees to work on their own ideas. Um, I I think I really believe the inspiration is not necessarily going to come from the top. Uh, As I, you know, we talked about earlier, uh, who spends the most of their time, most of their day with customers or on products? Uh, it's typically frontline employees. Uh, and if you're talking about blockchain technology, who's probably the person likely to have spent nights and weekends studying blockchain technologies? It's unlikely to be a senior VP or an executive VP. It's more likely to be uh, you know, a, a, an engineer. Uh, and so they're the ones who are likely to be inspired by these ideas and have, have thoughts about how uh, you, know, the, you could create disruptive new solutions. And so... What you want to do is just create an environment where they can work on those ideas. Uh, and, you know, when you couple 
uh, time and freedom with this lean startup methodology. It's very powerful because one of the things the lean startup methodology does, it says, look, to explore an idea, you don't need millions of dollars of investment. You don't need uh, years and years of uh, research. We, we actually give you tools you can use where you can start to explore uh, in a way that, again, is lean and efficient and learn whether, hey, there is a market for this idea, there is a receptivity for what you have in mind. Uh, and this way, uh, when you run your experiments, uh, instead of pitching ideas to um, management to say, here's an idea we should do, please support me. Instead, if you've run lean experiments, you'll have data. And the data hopefully will make itself evident whether this is something worth exploring further, something worthy of investment. And that's really what we're trying to create in this culture of innovation is where you can go from a, uh, uh, an environment where decisions are typically made by HIPPOs. Uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with the acronym, uh, HIPPO stands for the highest paid person's opinion. Uh, <laughs> and instead, go to data-driven decisions where it's whoever has the most compelling data, uh, that's the initiative that should get funded. So question following up to that on the data-driven analysis because you and I do a lot of startup advisory work and now comparing that to corporations. For the entrepreneur, not necessarily the startup, who's guiding them on the commercialization and capitalization of that idea? Yeah, so, so typically what you want to do with these, uh, the, the best teams, the best entrepreneurship teams are cross-functional teams. So um, not just a team of engineers or not just product managers, but ideally you you have people from the different functions, whether it's legal, whether it's finance, uh, you know, whether it's uh, uh, privacy and security, because the, the, the notion is that um, as you're starting to work on an idea, you have to start to think about how all these pieces will come together. And typically, having a cross-functional team means you'll have the benefit of a lot of different perspectives and be able to make progress much faster. So the team itself uh, can 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 obviously work on these issues, but also you know when you think about okay, what is the role of senior leadership in a in a culture of an inv innovation like what we're describing? Well, it is to be that coach, that advisor. And again, here we have to be very careful. You know, the coach advises the coach. You know, if you think about it in sports, the coach is not on the field actually, right. uh, you know, throwing the ball or trying to run it down into the end zone. Um, and so the coach has to be very careful that they what they don't do is take over the team. They don't start telling the team, um, here's exactly how you're going to do it and, and why. But instead, if they can play that role of giving guidance, and a lot of times that guidance could be, well, you know, look, here's ways in which the company can better monetize ideas. Here are channels that exist. Here are things that we know are easier for us to sell. And that can then feed in and, and help give guidance to these uh, entrepreneurship teams. Hugh, thanks. That was great advice, and that's a lot of free coaching for the person listening. Um, you're listening to Keith Koo, Silicon Valley Insider. I'm joined with Hugh Malazzi, CEO of Ujama, and also the author of The Entrepreneur's Journey. Um, if you have questions or comments about the book, email us at info at svn.biz. There's one day left in the Kickstarter campaign, and you can find that at kickstarter.com. Search for Entrepreneur with an I, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider 
Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders, welcome back to the show. Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, joined by CEO of Ujama, Hugh Malazzi. And Hugh was former head of innovation for Intuit, an Intuit fellow. And now he's an author of The Entrepreneur's Journey, a book on how to untap the talent within your existing companies. Thanks again, Hugh. Thank you. So in the first segment, we talked all about the formation of the book, the reasons for it, the history behind the entrepreneur and how that came to be. But I really wanted to dive into the writing process because this is something new for you. Yeah, it absolutely is. I've never had to write this much material before. Um, probably the, the closest comparison was a, a thesis when I was still in school. Um, but it was, a, it, it was a long process, and uh, uh, I definitely have a newfound respect for anybody who's written a book. <laughs> so you're a, lead, a leader in innovation, and this is something new for you. Can you talk about some of the, the challenges in writing a book? Yeah, you know, I, before I even wrote this book, um, you know, because I, I, I've, I've always felt like I enjoy writing, I considered a creative process. Um, and to that end, uh, I had uh, years before decided to write on a regular basis. Now, typically what I'd be writing are blog articles, and I used to blog regularly internally at Intuit. Uh, and I think that probably gave me a, a little bit of overconfidence so that I could tackle a project as large as a book. Uh, and I think that, you know, that the big challenge with a book, I'll tell anyone, is that when you have to write a lot of uh, material, you have to set aside a certain amount of time every day to write. Uh, and uh, the problem is you don't, you're not always in the zone for writing. You're not always in the mood for writing. And sometimes when you sit down to write, you know, you're just blocked. And that, I think, is, can be the most frustrating thing. Uh, this notion that, you know, okay, I set aside four hours to write today and I probably only have a page and a half to show for it. Uh, you know, that, that's frustrating. Versus, you know, something that I do, uh, I used to do a lot of and I started doing again in my new uh, role as a founder of Ujama is coding. And I would say with coding, uh, you know, you're, you're, le- you're, you're less likely to get as blocked uh, as you are when you're writing. Uh, and when you're blocked in coding, typically it's because there's a bug that you're having a hard time fixing. But even then, there are ways you can go out, go to Stack Overflow, reach out to experts. There are ways you can get go around it. But a lot of times with writing, it's lonely. You know, you're stuck and there's, <laughs> there's no one to talk to to get you unstuck. You just have to power through it. And I would say that's probably the, the hardest part. It takes a lot of uh, discipline. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I would say one other thing that is a challenge with writing is uh, there's a lot of rewriting. You know, you put together a bunch of pages, uh, you have some to review it, and they have a lot of great suggestions for you, uh, then you have to rewrite it. And it's not as uh, uh, intellectually stimulating or as creative uh, when you're doing it the second or the third or fourth, fifth time as it, it was the first time. So again, it requires a lot of discipline. But I have to also say it's rewarding. Uh, one of the things about getting feedback and changing things around Uh, there is a gratification of saying, yeah, I can see how this has gotten much, much better, much better than I originally thought, much better than I even originally visioned. Um, So there is that, uh, there there is the (laughs) pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if you're willing to endure it. So does that mean there'll be a follow-up book? (laughs) Um, You know, somebody was telling me it's like, uh, obviously something I'll never get to do, but it's like uh, having a baby, giving birth. They say, uh, well, right when you've just done it, you'll say never again. But probably take a few years to forget about it, and then you might be willing to go through the process again. Well, 
Yes, and just as a reminder, you're the first book under Eric Reese, the Lean Startup Company's label. And Eric just came out with a second book, so you know there might be another book for you. So Hugh, I want to thank you once again for being here with us today. Hugh Malazzi, CEO of Ujama, and also the author of The Entrepreneur's Journey, which we've been talking about today. I look forward to the book's release in a few weeks, and I hope to see you again, Hugh. Thank you, Keith. It was a privilege to be here. Thank you. Well, the conundrum of the week is a time where we can pose a question about technology that doesn't have necessarily a right or wrong answer. So the conundrum for this week is IBM, which is really well known in the artificial intelligence space. They have a platform called Watson, which ingests a lot of data and you can do data modeling inside IBM. They're using Watson now to do predictive analytics for their employees on their future performance reviews, which includes their promotions and raises. Now, of course, that sounds very alarming, but think about it this way, looking at a very balanced view. There are probably times where you're taking training courses, uh, meeting your KPIs and your MBOs, which are management by objectives, and it doesn't always get recorded. So if you actually had an analytical framework that captures all the data, then you might be an employee who's going to embrace this technology to make sure that you've got everything that you want coming to you. On the other hand, if you are prone to not necessarily having that much access to information or that the things you do aren't quantified or quantifiable, then that might make you a little more concerned about having predictive analytics determining how much money you're going to make next year and whether you get promoted or not. Artificial intelligence is such a hot topic. I'm excited to announce that we're going to be doing a series of shows with some of the leading thought leaders in this space. And that's the conundrum of the week. So for any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN. 